Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's awesome to have you with us. And uh, I want to say hello to those of you on our online campus. Great to have you joining us. Those uh, joining us in our parent viewing rooms, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, we also have seating in our cafe. You can check out the service there. But um, uh, I know that the Vikings are playing at 8.30 this morning, which is just an odd time. So uh, for your convenience, we're actually going to have the game right on this screen during service, kind of a screen, picture-in-picture kind of a thing, so that you can uh, just keep up with that. Uh, (laughs) We actually won't be doing that, but it's amazing. It's amazing that uh, I I was talking about this with somebody earlier about how it's all driven by money, isn't it? Uh, So they're like, man, we could have a game in London broadcasted at 8.30 in the morning, and then we could have games from 8.30 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. And people will tune in. And every year, uh, companies actually collectively spend billions of dollars on advertising and on marketing because they want to repeat this message enough so that it gets planted into our brains, whatever message it is. And so the goal is that when you go to purchase something uh, from any company, that you will choose their products because they've got a a slogan or they've got a jingle that's just stuck in your brain and you're like, that's the one I'm going to go for. And so uh, to prove that point, we're going to just do a little uh, challenge this morning. I'm going to give you a slogan and you see if you can shout out the company or the product. All right, here we go. So we're going to put them on the screen. The happiest place on earth. Disneyland, right? Or Disney World. Yeah, but Disneyland uh, came first, right? And then uh, how about this one? The ultimate driving machine. BMW. Somebody got it. That's right. All right. uh, Here we go. What's in your wallet? Capital One. I heard like a kid say that. I don't know what's going on there, but like giving out credit cards around here. All right. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Farmer's insurance. That's right. How about this one? The chocolate melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M&Ms. We all know that. And uh, a little gimme one here at the end. Taste the rainbow. Skittles. Skittles, right? And we know every one of these. Uh, there wasn't a single one of those that you didn't know because it's Advertising 101. Repeat the message again and again and again and again and again enough times that eventually people remember it, they recognize it, and they act on it. And we're going to start a series today called Faith Forward. And the idea is we're going to walk through a letter that was written by James, the brother of Jesus. And we begin this series walking through this book. You're going to see that this same strategy is used by James in this letter. He repeats things again and again. He touches on many different topics, but he comes back to one central theme over and over and over again and kind of repeats it in different ways. And it's like he wants to just drill this into our minds that uh, this one big theme, authentic faith, isn't just about what you think. It's not just about what you say. It's not just about how you feel. Authentic faith moves you to do. Authentic faith moves you to do. Now, it's not just about what you think. It's not just about what you feel. It's not just about what you say. Uh, It's about action. And James wants us to know that faith is more than just a set of beliefs. Believing is great. You start with information. It starts with your mind and how you think and how you process information. And then you start to understand more about Jesus. So there is believing that's a part of it. But then uh, it moves beyond that. Our faith should make us feel something. I want us to feel something. I want us to feel when we're singing these songs together and we're recognizing the the point of singing these songs together that we just did, we we get to recognize the greatness of God. It paints this picture for us and collectively we recognize we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we should feel something in that. I want us to feel something. And, And I want us to, you know, feeling something only matters if we 
if it moves us to do something, if it moves us to action. And, and I want us to say something, but faith isn't just about something you say. It's not just knowing some Bible verses and posting a religious thought once in a while. Authentic faith is about action. It should inform the day-to-day decisions that we make about how we live our lives. In fact, this is kind of the theme verse of this series that comes right out of this short document that's written by James. And we actually print a version of this on your outline every single week. Every single week at the sort of the bottom corner, we have James 1.22 on your outline. And it's there every single week. Uh, And we frequently say this, if you can't use this on Monday, then we shouldn't say it on Sunday. Like the goal here is not that you come in and that you hear something spiritual and then you go, well, that was spiritual. That made me feel spiritual. And then you go out and you live your life the same way. If you can't use it on Monday, we shouldn't say it on Sunday. If the goal is just to come in and hear something spiritual, then we're just some kind of weird country club where you have to miss the 830 Vikings game, you know? That's not really the goal. And that's because we believe what James says about faith and action is so critical. And here's what he writes in James 1.22. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And it's, it's interesting, there's this phenomenon that takes place where you're like, I, I went to church and I heard something that really like pinged my conscience or pinged my spirit or that just kind of like, like resonated with my heart. And I'm like, man, that, that's something that really challenged me and I should do something about that. And just the awareness that I have been challenged is enough of a spiritual experience that we actually walk away and don't do anything with that. And we go, well, that was, that was really good. Felt really challenged. And so this is the goal of this series. This is what Faith Forward is all about. We don't just want to read the scriptures, listen to a talk, and then go and live our lives the exact same way that we did before. That isn't the goal. But we want to take what we're hearing and actually apply it to our lives. We want a faith that moves us forward, not one that stays the same. See, uh, authentic faith is really an outward expression of an inward devotion. It's showing what I actually think and feel and believe and all of these things by the way that I live my life. And James will make the point that if we really trust in Jesus, if we really have faith in Jesus, which by the way, faith, when we talk about faith, is not just a mental assent to a set of ideas or beliefs, okay? Faith is really described as trust. It means I trust in someone enough to do what they say, to do what they ask me to do. So I trust in Jesus enough to do what he asked me to do and to live the way that he asked me to live. And so this idea of faith, uh, James says, if we trust Jesus, if we trust that his way of living is the best, it'll show itself in the way that we live our lives, the way that we see others, the way that we serve others, the way that we talk, the way, the way that we control ourselves, the way that we give. Because if Jesus is in us, then his life should shine through us. And so this is the whole point James is going to make throughout this entire book, and and we're going to walk through this for several weeks together. Now, just to give you some background, let me talk about who James is. James is the half-brother of Jesus, which had to be tough. Let's just be honest, right? Like, first of all, uh, it's tough enough when you have an older brother, but imagine when your older brother says he's the son of God, and your parents believe it. That's tough right? And all through James's life, he's like, oh my gosh, enough with the son of God stuff, right? I grew up with this guy. He's not the son of God. And think about this. We, I mean, we've said this before. Imagine what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the Messiah? It's not going to happen, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter what you saw or what he did. It's not going to happen. And imagine that must have been a tough thing in that family. Now, how many of you uh, have siblings, brother or sister? How many of you have ever gotten in a fight with your siblings? 
Oh, it's the same hands. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, shocking. And it must not have been easy for Jesus to have a big brother because his parents are like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? It's like, you know, James is like rolling his eyes. I'm sure when they got into fights, James would be like, you know what, Jesus, you always think you're right, don't you? And Jesus is like, well, you act like you're God. Well, I mean, think about this. In fact, in Mark's eyewitness account, Mark gives us this story and tells us that at a certain point, Jesus' family actually goes to one of his, you know, meeting things uh, where he's speaking or whatever, and they try to stop the meeting and take charge of Jesus because they think that he's lost his mind. Jesus is, Jesus is traveling and, you know, preaching and, and doing miracles and stuff, and they're like, he's, he's, he's either like completely lost it or he's demon-possessed. Either way, we've got to take charge of him because he's not in his right mind. That's, that's the extent to, what, to, to where Jesus' family thought of him. So much so that even on the cross, we get this narrative where Jesus is uh, really breathing his last breath and he looks down and there's his mother Mary and one of his best friends and followers, John, and he says to John, behold your mother Mary, and Mary, here's John. And like, in other words, there was no one else there. None of his brothers were there. None of his, the rest of his family was there at his crucifixion. They, they didn't believe that he was the son of God. And so instead, at the cross, James, his half-brother, his younger brother James, is watching his own mother being crushed and thinking, this is the end, it's over, right? Suffering wins, death wins, despair wins, and he's just given up. And then we have this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Corinth, and he describes what happens after Jesus rose from the dead. And he's, and he, he's describing how Jesus has appeared to so many people, to 500 eyewitnesses many of whom are still alive. And then he writes this interesting thing. He says, then he appeared to James. Like Paul goes out of his way to say, then he appeared to James. James is the only person of all of Jesus' followers that Jesus knew his whole life. Everyone else on the list, Jesus came to know as an adult. James he knew as a kid. This was his baby brother. And they grew up together. They were kids together. And now Jesus appears to James after his death. Can you just imagine that? He's like, hey, Jim. <laughs> Turns out I am God after all. <laughs> you know, go figure. And I mean, and that's the moment where everything changed for James. Everything changed. That was the moment he realized there is more to this life than this life. And suddenly his brother actually is his savior and his Lord. And when he understood that eternal life that Jesus came to offer, everything changed for him. He could gain an eternal perspective and it would give him hope and it would give him peace and it would give him joy even when all of life's circumstances were pointing in the wrong direction. And this is where we find James. And so now James becomes this leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he's leading this church. And, and we read about how he leads the church specifically in Acts chapter 15. In fact, uh, in Acts 15, verse 19, it's James, the brother of Jesus, who stands up in the midst of this big argument and he says, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Let's remove all the barriers to those who are turning to God. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And so James is this complete 180. He's all in now and he becomes one of the leaders of the new uh, Jesus movement. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, my hope is that James's story becomes your story. Uh, my hope is that if you're a doubter or if you're a skeptic, I would encourage you, lean into those doubts and chase those doubts and ask those questions. Uh, if you see Jesus as someone who's just an interesting person or a historical figure, chase that curiosity. 
and learn more about him. And my hope and my prayer is that you'll discover that he's so much more than that. That's what happened to James. And that's why he begins this letter not by introducing himself as, uh, my name is James, the brother of Jesus, which he easily could have done. But instead, look at how James begins this letter. He says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never does he mention, like, by the way, I mean, we're related. Doesn't bring that up. James is writing this letter possibly as early as 10 to 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's one of the earliest documents that we have. And uh, the, the movement of Jesus has spread so much that there are now tens of thousands of Jesus followers spread across the Roman Empire. And the reason that they're spread out is because uh, we read about this in the book of Acts. There's this intense persecution that's taking place of this Jesus movement. Followers of the way are being persecuted. They're being uh, arrested and put to death. And it's happening not from the Roman Empire at this point. It's happening from the, uh, from the temple and the Jewish leaders because they see this new Jesus movement as a threat to their power their religious power. And so James greets these followers of Jesus who are now spread around the Roman Empire and he acknowledges, Jesus is my Lord. I mean, that's a profound statement coming from James, his younger brother, the one who he has pledged his obedience and the one who has, in whom he has found his identity. He says, I'm a slave of God and of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then James doesn't waste any time and he jumps right into the heart of his letter. Here's what he writes. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, James doesn't say if troubles come your way. James says when troubles of any kind come your way. I used to think there were good seasons and bad seasons, right? It's, oh man, sometimes there's just a tough season, sometimes there's a difficult season, and there's troubles with, uh, seasons with troubles and seasons without troubles. And what I've come to understand just through life experience is that every season has troubles. No matter the season, even the best seasons have troubles. And sometimes the troubles that we face, again, James says, when troubles of any kind come your way. And sometimes the troubles that we face are simply the results of decisions that we've made in our own life, and we're facing the consequences. Sometimes the troubles that we face are the consequences of decisions that other people in our life have made, and we're getting caught in the fallout of the consequences of their decisions. Sometimes the troubles that come our way are just exactly that. They're nobody's fault. They're just a part of life. Uh, they're the results of living in a broken world. And yet, here's what we know. All of us have troubles of every kind that come our way. Uh, we, we have uh, obsessive thoughts. Uh, we have health concerns. We have financial burdens. Uh, we have, you know, marriage difficulty. We have depression and mental health concerns. We have uh, career challenges and parenting troubles. Troubles come our way. Troubles are a part of life. But it's how we respond to them that makes all the difference in the world. And here are some common uh, responses to trouble. Here, here's, here's some ways that different personality types tend to cope with trouble when it comes our way. For some of us, we just pretend. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Everything's good. So good. 
finger guns. Winky face, ah, hey, everything's great over here. And we just pretend that everything's going our way. Uh, we pretend that, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're not in a season of trouble. And the reality is, uh, there's this newsflash for you, okay? God is good. And we're like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. I genuinely believe God is good. Also, I'm not God. So sometimes I'm not good. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm discouraged. Uh, sometimes we go through difficulty. Sometimes we experience pain. Sometimes we experience loss. Sometimes I experience hardship. See, there's all these things. And if we just pretend that troubles haven't come our way, it's really difficult to deal with them. Here's another thing that we do. Sometimes we just avoid. We just avoid, uh, and that's a, it can be a good thing. And to a certain extent, we see the troubles that other people go through. And so we avoid uh, those troubles and we do our best to go, I don't want to make the same mistakes that other people make. And so I'm going to avoid that as best as I can. Other people uh, tend to worry. And they just spend all of their time just going, okay, I know this is going to happen. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And they play out in their minds all the worst case scenarios. And so they're constantly going through, okay, what will happen if this happens and what will happen if this happens? And people who respond to every trouble and every worry at every turn uh, turn everything into a catastrophe. And over time, if we live that way, we'll grow more and more afraid of what could potentially happen in the future and we stop living in the moment. And, the, you know, these are people that go to bed with a helmet on. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what could happen. What if I fall in the night, you know? And then some of us, we do this, we blame it's never my fault. It's, I'm always the victim. I'm the perpetual victim. It's everyone else's fault. If only they would get their act together. If only they would grow up. If only they would mature. If only they would own their part of it. <coughs> Excuse me. And the blamer is always the victim. They have this little attorney on their shoulder. who's constantly arguing for them. It's not your fault. Here's what they did. Here's what they said. And the blamer never stops to consider, what's my part in this? Now, James is writing into this culture of this group of people that are facing intense persecution. The, the troubles of any kind that come their way are the fact that they're being arrested for following Jesus. They're being put into prison. Their families are being separated. They're losing uh, any source of income that they have because they follow Jesus. And the culture and religion of uh, James's audience has grown up and been taught this thing, this idea. If good things are happening to you, then you've found favor with God. You're blessed. If good things are happening to you, then you're blessed. And if bad things happen to you, if you face troubles of any kind, that must mean that you have somehow fallen out of favor with God, possibly even you're cursed. That's, a, that's just the, the, the mindset of the culture of James's day. And so that's who he's dealing with. And so you can imagine, as he's saying, when you face troubles of any kind, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And they're like, no, 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 no. It, I've somehow fallen out of God's favor. So now you have a group of people who are facing intense persecution and they're sort of coming to the conclusion, okay, either something is wrong with me or something is wrong with God. Because the troubles that I'm experiencing, either I must have done something and I've fallen out of favor with God or something is wrong with God and he's not living up to his end of the bargain. And the truth is, it's very easy for us to think in those terms. If life isn't going good, what have I done? God, that somehow I deserve this, somehow I've done something? Or is it possible that you're not the God that I thought you were and you're somehow not living up to your end of the deal? And James comes along and he says, no, it doesn't work that way. James understands that faith, an active trust in God, 
an active trust and going, okay, God, I, I understand who you are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow your way because I trust you. James goes, it's like a muscle. It's like it has to be tested and stretched in order to grow. And if you want to build a muscle, what do you do? You feed it ice cream every night. No. <clears throat> you work it out. You fatigue it. You exhaust it. You stretch it. You give it stress and tension through exercise, and then you let it rest, and then your muscle grows. And God uses our circumstances to form our character, to grow our faith muscles. Now, here's what's so important for us to understand. God doesn't cause troubles to come our way. That's not who God is. I, I think about this sometimes. I, I, Christians, followers of Jesus, really get this confused sometimes because they think when bad things happen, like, oh, okay, God, what lesson are you trying to teach me as if God somehow caused it to happen? And, and that, would, that would be the equivalent of saying as a dad that when my son comes in and he's run down the driveway and he's skinned his knee, that would be the equivalent of not only him coming to me and going, hey, you know, running in the house, dad, I skinned my knee and, you know, it's bleeding. And I go, well, hope you learned your lesson. That's, that's how some Christians and followers of Jesus think about God, that somehow he's just trying to, trying to go, well, learn a lesson. But actually, a lot of followers of Jesus take it a step further and think that, well, God actually caused bad things to happen to me in my life to somehow teach me a lesson. And that would be the equivalent of not only me ignoring my son or hoping he learned a lesson, but actually going out in the driveway and shoving him down. And then going, hey, I pushed you down to skin your knee so that hopefully you'd learn a lesson. That's horrible parenting. It's also not anything reflected in the scriptures about who God is. What we discover, though, is that we live in a broken world and sometimes suffering of many kinds comes our way. And James says, when suffering of any kind, when troubles of any kind come your way, then consider it an opportunity for joy. And so God will use our circumstances to grow our faith muscles. James says, whenever you face troubles of any kind, troubles of any kind, troubles I cause or troubles caused by others, uh, troubles, old problems, new problems, short-term problems, long-term problems, right? Big problems, little problems, relational troubles, when you face financial troubles or emotional troubles or vocational troubles or spiritual troubles, whenever you face troubles of any kind, whenever they come your way, meaning they just, they happen. God isn't causing them, but they come your way anyways, because we live in this world. So what does it look like to respond when troubles come our way? What does it look like to respond to troubles through that lens? And James gives us some very, very practical ways that we can actually move our faith forward even when troubles come our way. So how do we respond to trouble? Here's what James says. Number one, choose joy in spite of troubles. Choose joy in spite of troubles. Now, th this is really important to understand. We all have troubles that we're experiencing right now, don't we? In fact, uh, you either just came out of trouble or you're currently facing some troubles or you're heading into some troubles. Like, wow, thank you, that's encouraging. And the truth is, uh, you know, we're just like, uh, trouble, 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 it always comes our way. Troubles of every kind come our way. We're facing troubles all the time. Well, when do they end? When do they stop? When will I stop having troubles? When you die. You will stop having troubles. In fact, uh, it's, it's a proven fact. The number of problems that you experience and the degree to which you experience them significantly decreases when you die. Scientifically proven. As I'm 
preparing this this week and, and I'm reading through the book of James and I'm literally reading through these verses this week and uh, there was a, uh, I'm at a coffee shop and there's like a, a TV on in the background and um, there had the news on. And literally as I'm, as I'm writing this, I, I wrote this in because I'm like, this is fascinating. Headlines for today. It was unbelievable. Uh, Hurricane is about to make landfall in Tampa, and uh, here's all the things going on with Hurricane Ian, and so we're going to bring you all the latest on that. And also, prices at the grocery store are surging upward, and uh, blah, 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 you know, inflation, blah, blah, blah. And then also, glaciers are melting somewhere around the world, and we're all going to die soon anyways, so blah, blah, blah. These are the three top headlines. And I just went, there it is. Troubles of every kind. I mean, uh, natural disasters and nobody can afford anything and, and none of it matters because the glaciers are melting. I was like, oh, this is unbelievable. And on top of that, we all have troubles that we're facing personally, don't we? We can all think of probably two to three personal challenges that we're facing right now. Troubles that we're facing, our health, our marriage, a financial need. Some of you are sitting next to the trouble in your life, eyes straight ahead. <laughs> and in the middle of all this, it seems such, like, such a contradiction this contradiction to say, choose joy. Just choose joy. But here's what James is saying. I'm not rejoicing for my troubles. I'm not going, yes, I love troubles. Come. James says, no, no, no. I'm choosing joy in spite of my troubles. James says, consider it joy. He doesn't say you should just feel joyful. Because guess what? In the midst of troubles, I don't feel joyful. And that isn't what James is saying. He isn't saying, hey, just, just paint a happy face on and just, you know, look at yourself in the morning and go, you're a champion and walk out with a lollipop in your mouth. <laughs> just positive thinking, man. That's not what he's saying. He says, no, followers of Jesus, uh, and, and sometimes I see this, followers of Jesus uh, act like you should just always be suffering because if you're not suffering for Jesus, you're not serving Jesus. Don't look for suffering. All right, don't, don't take joy in suffering like, oh man, I'm suffering. It's, I'm facing troubles right now. I'm, God's really doing something. That's not, that's not the goal. Don't go out and look for suffering. This world has enough suffering and troubles. But when you face it, when troubles come your way, James says, you can actually consider it an opportunity for joy because when something bad is happening to you, something good can be happening in you. When something bad is happening to you, something good can be happening in you. Consider it an opportunity. Consider is a really important word for followers of Jesus. It has to do with how I evaluate things, how I see things, how I understand and interpret what is happening to me. Not by looking at conventional wisdom, not by looking at the way that, that you know, looking at things the way that everyone else does, but by looking at what is happening to me through the lens of what God is doing in me. It's a different perspective. And so the, the response is, okay, I'm not excited about this thing that I'm going through, this trial or this circumstance that I'm experiencing, but it is an opportunity for me to trust God. It is an opportunity for me to grow my faith muscles. I consider this an opportunity, not because I enjoy what's happening to me, but because I understand that God can be doing something in me. That's huge. And James isn't the only one who talks about this. This, this idea shows up throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament writers, throughout followers of Jesus and the eyewitnesses who wrote different letters to churches and individuals. And in fact, Peter, one of Jesus' uh, close friends and followers, would later write this. In uh, 1 Peter, this letter that he writes uh, to people, same audience, Jewish believers scattered across the Roman Empire, he says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. And I think this is great language because I think sometimes we're like, well, I, 
I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus. I don't understand why anything bad would ever happen to me. And Peter says, look, look, this is the world we live in. Why are you shocked by it? Troubles come our way, right? Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Peter agrees with James. And see, this word consider is a practice that is found throughout the New Testament. We see this word over and over again. Paul writes at one point, consider others as better than yourselves. Consider others as better than yourselves. Human ego doesn't do that naturally, so it's something that we have to consider. Uh, again, Paul says, Christ did not consider equality with God as something to hold on to. He uses this word, consider. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Moses considered suffering for Christ to be more valuable than the riches of Egypt. He considered. He, he, he rethought things. When Paul was arrested and, uh, for following Jesus and he's standing before King Agrippa, he says, I consider myself fortunate to be standing before you today. He's like, well, you're, you're in shackles, you're in chains. You consider that fortunate? See, uh, uh, no other prisoner would have said that, but when you look through the lens of an eternal perspective, it allows you to consider things that you would never have considered. You almost translate this word to reconsider. I, I, I got a second opinion. I ran the numbers a second time. Uh, review your assessment of current reality through the lens of eternity and through the lens of this Jesus way of living, and you may see your troubles very differently. Consider that this is an opportunity for joy whenever you face troubles of any kind, when they come your way. There's still pain. There's still hardship. Uh, there's still confusion. But you can remove it from the debt category, and you can add it to the asset category. Because guess what? James says something bigger is going on. Consider means that I don't just look at my troubles and my problems and my suffering, but that I look through them and I see that God is still at work even in the midst of them. Therefore, when you face troubles, James says, consider. Consider, this might be an opportunity for great joy. And then here's the second thing that we can do in the midst of troubles. See, we ask for wisdom in the midst of our troubles. Okay, I'm going I'm to choose to recognize that I'm going to reconsider this may be an opportunity for God to do something in me. And, and that I can experience joy in. And all too often when we find ourselves in times of trouble or difficulty, asking God for help is a last resort. It's not a first option. And we try to fix it, try to solve it, we try to get out of it on our own wisdom and choices, and then when we come to the end of ourselves and we finally go, okay, God, what do you got? And James says, ask God for his wisdom right away. Here's what James says. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Hey, consider this an opportunity for joy because when you do, your faith grows and, and you grow, it develops your endurance. And by the way, if you need wisdom, ask God for it and he'll give it to you. He's happy to give it. Has there ever been a time in your life where you don't need God's wisdom? Has there ever been a time in your life where you're like, no, nah, I got this. Thanks, God. I can't think of a single situation where I wouldn't want to lean into God's wisdom and God's way of living and God's way of doing things. And, and James says, all you got to do is ask for it and God will give it to you. He gives you the wisdom that you need because he created you and he loves you and he wants to see you make good decisions with your life, especially when troubles of any kind come your way. That's why we do groups. This is one of the big reasons why we do groups. All of our uh, groups are launching this week. There's still time to sign up. You can jump into one at any time, but a lot of them are beginning, you know, starting today and moving forward this week. And it, it's, there's a reason that we do that. 
We do groups, all of our groups are starting. The reason we do that is so that you have access to God's wisdom as you live out life with other people in community. It's one of the best ways to access the wisdom that God offers is to actually live in community with people who are moving in the same direction you are spiritually. And so here you have this thing, and, and here's what happens. On Sunday mornings, we, we do our best to create an environment where, man, if I've never been to church before, uh, I can come and I can experience something for the first time, and I can be introduced to Jesus, and we want to paint a picture of who God is, His love and His grace. But the reality is, in a small group setting, you actually get the opportunity to take what we're talking about on a Sunday and go, how do I actually live that out in my life? With people who are going, hey, we're trying to do the same thing. And here's, here's what all of us hit. All of us hit what we call need-to-know moments and need-to-grow moments. And we've talked about this a couple of times. Need-to-know means, okay, there's some, there's some piece of information that comes with following Jesus that I've never heard of. I need to know. I'm facing a situation. I need to know what to do. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what the way of Jesus is to handle this situation. So I, that's a need-to-know moment. And now you go, hey, I, I'm with this group of people, and we're all moving in the same direction spiritually, and, and here's this situation, and I need to know. And now you can have access to God's wisdom through other people collectively who are moving in the same direction you are spiritually. And then all of us also face something called a need to grow moment. And a need to grow moment is, I know exactly what I need to do. I know exactly what the way of Jesus looks like and I don't wanna do it. I need people to go, no, 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 this is the right thing. I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but you, know, you got this and we're in your corner and we're, gonna be, we're, we're moving in the same direction as you spiritually. And when troubles of any kind come to your way, where do you go? Where do you go uh, when there's something you need to know or something you need to do to grow? How do you access the wisdom of the scriptures and God's wisdom found in the experience of others? Groups is one of the best ways to do that. And by the way, in these verses, it's in the context here. James isn't talking about just the regular kind of everyday wisdom like, you know, which apartment should I rent or which car should I buy? That's not what he's saying. He's saying in this context, wisdom is simply the ability to see my situation the way that God sees my situation is to see as God sees. Asking God for wisdom is asking God, okay, uh, I don't really see these troubles that are coming my way as an opportunity for great joy. So God, give me the ability to see the way that you see. You say you're doing something in me. Give me the ability to see what you're doing. Give me the ability to see the way that you see. Uh, we, I haven't talked about this hardly at all, but uh, last year, many of you are aware, some of you may not be, that last summer, our 14-year-old uh, daughter, Chloe, she's now 16, just turned 16, but just before her 15th birthday, she was in a major, major car accident. And uh, driving, we were at dinner, and I'll just briefly walk you through this. We were at dinner, and we got a call, and it was uh, her friend's mom, uh, but when I answered the phone, it was actually not her friend's mom. So I said, hey, Molly, and it was, hello, this is Officer So-and-so. Is your daughter Chloe? Yes, she is. He said she's been in an accident. She's um, not responsive. She's in critical condition. There's a helicopter landing right now, and they're taking her to a hospital. And that's all I know. And as a parent, you can just imagine, just, uh, you know, everything freezes in that moment. And uh, so we just stood up from dinner, and we got in our car, and we started driving towards the cities. We said, it's going to be in Minneapolis somewhere. Let's just start driving. And we got a call and they said, uh, this is HCMC downtown and uh, please get here as fast as you can. That's all they said. So I'm just driving. I'm just, and we're praying and we're just going, 
This is, this is the prayer. God, help me to see as you see. God, I don't, she might not make it. And I'll, we had no idea where she was. We had no idea what condition she was in. We had no idea what happened. All we know is get to the hospital as fast as you can. And the whole time I was praying, and I'm crying, and I'm, you know, trying to get there. And I just go, God, if she doesn't make it, I'm thinking about how it's going to change our whole family. And all I can just do is I, I have to mentally get myself into a place where I'm like, if she doesn't make it, how's it going to affect my kids and my wife and our family and all these things? And so I'm just going, God, give me, help me to see as you see. She was, she was yours before she was ours. And if she doesn't make it, I still trust you. You're still God. You're still good. This doesn't mean that my life, that I've done something bad and you're trying to teach me a lesson. I still trust you. This is what James is saying. God, give us the wisdom to see as you see. And we got to the hospital and she was in critical condition and she spent, you know, she a day and a half on life support and in intensive care. And man, she came out of it in, a, in just a miraculous way. Um, just a massive extent of injuries, broken bones in her face and uh, lacerated spleen and broken ribs and whiplash and concussion and stitches and all these things, but no brain injury, no head trauma, no, uh, no um, uh, spinal injuries. She had a couple of surgeries, but man, she's here today. And for that, I'm so thankful, but here's what I know. It could have easily gone the other direction. It doesn't change our prayer. And this is what James is saying. Wisdom says, the prayer for wisdom is, God, help me to see as you see. Help me to understand that the troubles that come my way aren't some kind of punishment from you. And help me to trust you. Help me to continue to do what you asked me to do. God, give me the wisdom to see the situation through your eyes. And that's, that's where this third thing comes in. Here's the third thing we can do. Fully obey God through the troubles. Commit to obedience through, the, through all the troubles. Just go, okay, God, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know exactly where this is going to go, but I trust you. And so first James says we need to choose joy in spite of what's going on around us because God might be doing something in us. And while God never causes troubles of any kind, he will certainly use them to grow our faith muscles. And then he tells us that if we struggle to see that perspective, we can ask God, and he'll help us see that perspective. But that comes with a caveat. Here's what he says. When you ask him, he says, ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. What does that mean? The wisdom that God gives is the ability to choose joy in spite of what's going on around me, because I can recognize God's doing something in me. And the only way to see through that perspective is to see the way that God sees. So you ask God for his wisdom. Understanding always follows obedience. That perspective only comes on the heels of obedience, not the other way around. So first I obey, even when I don't understand, and then understanding always follows obedience. Now think about this. How many times as a teenager did your parents tell you to do something and you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And you, and you had the classic, ah, oh, that every teenager is just involuntarily taught. You just know it, right? It's an instinct. 
And then what happens? As you become an adult and you look back and you go, oh, that's why. Now I got it. You become a parent, you have teenagers, and you go, oh, got it. That's why. It's amazing, isn't it? And you've probably done the same thing as a parent. Your kids look at you and they go, that doesn't make any sense. Oh. And what do you do from their perspective? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you ask me to do this? Why would you say no to that thing? Why would you, why would you say that I have to live this way or do that? Or why, why, why? And, and you, could, you wish you could explain it to them, but you just can't. You're like, man, from, from your perspective, I can't even explain it to you. All I'm asking you to do is just trust me. This is what James is asking us to do when it comes to the trials that we face. I'm looking at the, the troubles of any kind that come my way through the lens of my incredible 42 years on this planet. God is looking at the troubles of any kind that come my way through his perspective, through the lens of eternity, and through the lens of what he wants to accomplish in me, in spite of what's going on around me. So when God tells me to do something in the midst of seasons of trouble that come my way, I have to commit to obey him, even when I don't understand in the moment. Even when I go, why would I live that way? Why would I do that? Who does that? God goes, just trust me. I can't fully explain it to you because you have this limited perspective. But from where I sit, trust me. If you live this way, understanding will come. If I'm asking God for wisdom, I want to see as God sees. But I'm only doing that to hedge my bets until I can figure things out on my own. The truth is, I'm like a wave of the sea. This is what James says. It's divided loyalty. You, you, you kind of trust God in, in sort of verbiage and in, 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 in your words, but really you're doing this and you're doing this and like whatever's going to hit first. You're not just going, God, I trust you and I'm going to live your way. And, and I won't truly be able to have that prayer answered because really I just want to see my problem solved. I don't actually want to see as God sees. So James is saying this, look, if we're not going to listen, don't bother to ask. If we're just asking for God's wisdom as one of many different possible solutions, we're not going to actually follow through and put into practice the wisdom that God gives us, then don't even bother to ask. Because you shouldn't expect that God's just going to give you that wisdom and you're going to just go, okay, you're one of many options. And I hope if yours hits first, then that'll be great. And this happens all the time. People come and ask me my opinion on things and then I tell them what to do. And I go, man, this is the way I see this. This is what I think you do. And they go, great, thanks. And then they go and do the thing that they wanted to do anyway. And that's okay. That happens sometimes. Then they come back again and go, hey, I really, man, I'm facing this issue. And I go, well, here's here's what I think wisdom would do. And they go, okay, thanks for your help. And they go and they do the same thing they want to do anyway. And by the time they come back the third time, I just go, well, what do you think you should do? They go, well, I really think I should do this. I go, do that then because that's what you're going to do anyways. It saves me a bunch of other meetings. It's just, if we're looking to just confirm what we already want to do, then God is not really our Lord. He's just a consultant. And God isn't a very good consultant. That's not what God wants to be in our life. But if, he, if he's your Lord, you do what he says, even when you don't understand, because you trust who he is. And when you obey, understanding is always in hindsight. It always comes after obedience. God, I don't understand, but I'm going to obey. And then later on, maybe, maybe a week later, maybe a year later, maybe a decade later, you're like, oh, man, I'm glad that I obeyed because now I get it. See, here's what you need to know, bottom line. Troubles, troubles highlight God's activity, not his absence. When, whenever troubles of any kind come your way, that's a signal that God's probably going to do something in you. It doesn't mean that God is against you. It doesn't mean that something bad is happening to you because God's got to teach you some kind of lesson, but he will use it. Now his activity is going to get started. This is an invitation to a new perspective. 
We realize God has not abandoned us when troubles come, but rather God is growing us through the troubles that come. God is working our faith muscles to bring us to maturity and to completeness in him. And here's how James kind of wraps up this section. He says this in uh, verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God says, James says, there's this reward. We can't avoid life's troubles, but how we uh, control how we respond. We, we, can't, we can't control the troubles that of many kinds that come our way, but we can control how we respond to those things. We, we don't have to rejoice in the troubles, but we can choose joy in spite of them because God's doing something in us. We can ask for God's wisdom in the midst of them. And when we do, let's make sure that we're willing to respond in obedience to the wisdom that he gives us. Because understanding comes on the heels of obedience. And when we see our troubles through the lens of eternity, we recognize, man, there's a lot that's going on around us, but God is still doing something in us. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. This is, this is predicated, all of this is predicated on this idea that God sent Jesus into the world, that, that Jesus became one of us. He became human, God in human flesh, and he showed us what God is like, and he showed us how God loves and the ultimate expression of love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And then he invites us. That means death is not the end. That's why in the midst of tr any troubles of any kind that come our way, we can choose joy because we recognize this is not the end. There's more to this life than this life, and you've been invited to be a part of God's family. If you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you to do that. And then after we pray, I want to invite you to come back next week for part two of Faith Forward. So let's just agree together with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you, and I thank you that you've never walked away from me. And I pray yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to trust you. I, I, don't, I don't need you to be a consultant in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to I surrender my way of living to your way of living. Help me to trust you even when I don't understand. And help me to follow you in your way of living life as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, for every one of us, we just pray in the midst of the troubles that come our way, because they do come our way, we pray that you would help us to see as you see, to recognize that just because something bad is happening around us, it doesn't mean that you're not doing something in us. Help us to see as you see. Help us to patiently endure. And may our lives reflect your love to the world around us. We pray this in your name. Amen.